This podcast is brought to you by the Gosh Learning Academy. Hello and welcome to NHS Careers Untapped. The NHS is one of the largest employers in the world, but most people when they think of a job in the NHS think of doctors and nurses. However, the NHS is so much more. There's a huge variety of jobs you can do, suiting all interests and personalities. In this podcast, we will be talking to people working in the NHS, in jobs you might never have heard of before, finding out exactly what they do, how they came to be working in that job, and what they love most about it. So today I'm joined by Femi. Thank you very much for joining me. Good morning and thank you for having me. Can you start, Femi, just by telling me a bit about your job? What is it that you do? Okay, so at the moment, I'm a peer and lived experience manager. I work for Barnet Emperor and Haringey. I've been doing the job for about seven months. I work across the trust and my job is around supporting peers. So peers who work in frontline services, so they work in communities, on wards, and also around the trust in various other roles. I support them and their supervisors with any support that they might need. Right. Okay. So, I mean, just to clarify, particularly for people listening, have I got this right? A peer is somebody who themselves may have experience of mental health issues and they work directly with patients using mental health services to provide support and kind of share their experiences and have a role in that patient's ongoing management and recovery. Yeah, exactly. You're using your lived experience as a transferable skill to support and help others. Okay, that makes sense. But then in your current role, you're no longer working directly with patients. You're working more with the peers themselves to provide them support. Yes, that's correct. But I can't get away from supporting patient because that was my previous role and it's where my passion lies. I've always, you know, put myself in the shoes of the service user because I used to be a service user and then that sort of never stopped. I've always thought I'd work with service users in my spare time if I can get additional work. But ultimately, yes, you're right. So right now I work with peers who work with service users and support them. So how did you get this job and was any kind of training needed? So I would say the training sort of happened whilst I was an inpatient. I always sort of give myself credit for that. But while I was an inpatient, staff saw something in me. It was essentially around, I'd gained insight very quickly after falling unwell myself. And I was working with my fellow peers on the ward at this point. So fellow service users of the mental health service to sort of talk about our issues and what it was we faced. And I was sort of comparing the similarities between our stories and just understanding what it was that was giving us anxiety and the symptoms that we were exhibiting. And many times we would sit down for hours and this was very rewarding, like being able to talk to people who might be hearing voices and say, you know what, let's try and understand it this way and sort of brainstorm around that. And I saw the difference it did for them and in their journeys. And 
I was offered the opportunity once I was discharged to come back and do some interview panel work to just help, you know, pick the next cohort or the next wave of frontline staff and ensure that they have the passion and the skill set to be able to perform the roles. And then that grew and grew and grew. So then I started giving presentations around my own journey and my story and what it meant to me. And before you know it, an opportunity opened up in the service that I was actually an inpatient at. And I took it, it was part-time at first, and it gave me the opportunity to come back and work with service users still in the system. Right. Okay. That's actually really interesting. So it was when you were a patient yourself, but actually having that insight into your own kind of mental health and then that of your fellow patients was kind of the training that you needed. And it showed the staff that you were working with, that actually you were really well-equipped and the perfect person to then do the job. Yeah, exactly. I then did training once I'd started the role. There was various little mandatory bits of training, but ultimately the role I do, the initial part of the training is having that lived experiences. So when I was in services myself, I looked for representation for someone like me in staff members around me. And I guess that would allow me to open up more, whether it was gender, age, ethnicity, religion, things of that nature. And you get all of that, but the thing that's a little bit rarer or harder to find is someone with actual lived experience of mental health, just being able to have a similar experience or understand where that came from and why that might come across bizarre to someone who's never had knowledge of mental health is so important and being able to say, you know what, I've got lived experience. It breaks down that barrier, breaks down that wall. It opens a space and it allows someone to be vulnerable. And, and that is so important because when someone suffering from mental health is at their most vulnerable, that's where you get the most truths. And then from that, a lot of solutions and problem solving can come from. For lack of a better word, the stigma behind mental health can be so rewarding if channeled in the right way, because ultimately this is something that's happened to you. It's unique to you, but so many people suffer from it. It's so complicated and so hard to understand So the more and more people that have lived that experience can share their perspective on how it made them feel their perception at the time of whilst those unwell or after their recovery, it's so important that that can be used as your training, as your skill, as your bit of knowledge, insight that can help somebody else in their journey and ultimately get you a career after holding unwell and being in services. Yeah. And actually without those experiences, this probably isn't a career that you would have considered or even known about really. So it was a key part of you going into this job in the first place. Yeah, definitely. I think my journey would have taken a very different path. I fell on well, unfortunately, off the back of uni. So I was handing in my dissertation and then I fell unwell that summer holiday and ended up in mental health services for about a year, eight months. Now it was a testing time for me being that even in the early months, I was a few months away from having been in an institution doing exams and things like that. And now I'm detained under the mental health act within a forensic unit. So it was a very vast career change. I studied accounting and finance, the idea or, or how I saw my life was I was going to become a chartered accountant. Whilst I was even an inpatient, I actually continued my educational courses. So I actually managed to graduate. I got a two one 
in accounting and finance. And then whilst in hospital, I started the next phase, which was a course called ACCA, which is for accountants to charter. I didn't manage to quite complete it because I took a leap of faith and got into mental health because I just found that's where my passion lied. That, that, that it was such a feel good factor knowing that I can support service users, which I was once like, I mean, when I was in services, there was no one like me on the ward. And sometimes it was just confirming a thought in my head. One of the symptoms that I had quite often was disassociating from everybody and you become, you develop a pattern of not being able to trust anybody. So somebody's like, yeah, Femi, you understand. And it's not just a tokenistic word. It's bigger than that because I genuinely do in some cases, if not most cases, so we can have a genuine conversation and that opens the door and then I can explain to them and with their consent, ask them to allow me to explain it to their consultant or their psychologist. And, you know, everybody feels more connected that that service user is going to get better care as a result of the conversation that me and him was able to have or her was able to have. Yeah, that makes complete sense. And I think it's a really, really interesting way of thinking about how we deal with mental health in general. So thank you so much for talking to me about your experiences. Moving on to a slightly different question now, just thinking about your current job. What does a typical day look like for you in your job? Is there a typical day? So there's, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. There's no typical day. In my previous role, I was frontline facing, which essentially means I was working with service users directly. I was working on forensic. I had loads of opportunities to give counseling sessions, deliver groups or one-to-ones with service users. Sometimes it would just be an informal conversation about asking me about my journey and how long it took me to get out of hospital, how long it took me to get off things like medication. And that then became, how can I put it? I felt like I outgrew that, that role. There, there was more I wanted to do. There was a structural change that needed tackling. I felt I could offer more in the way of a managerial position where I'm ensuring that I'm speaking to supervisors of peers and using knowledge that I've gained from other supervisors of peers and trying to get everybody on the same page. Like I, I use this word a lot, streamlining the service. We've employed a lot of peers and what peers are struggling with is that lack of support. When I was even in my previous role, didn't know that other peer roles existed. I didn't, it, it was just not something that was readily talked about, but now we have supervision once a month. So we do one in each of the three boroughs and then we do a collective one. So all three boroughs come together and all the peers meet. And this is a group that we will discuss issues that we're facing and how to resolve them. We also celebrate the good. So if there's something that you really think is benefiting you in your role or in your borough, you can bring it to this group and we can sort of see how we can incorporate into the other boroughs. I respond to emails and these emails can be from, you know, joining a meeting to there's a peer who's unfortunately had a particular experience at work. And now I have to somewhat investigate and come to a medium or an agreement with that service user and their supervisor. And this has to all fall within the guidelines of the policy. And it's very difficult when the policy wasn't necessarily written for someone with lived experience working within a healthcare setting. And I've had 
days where I could spend half a day on a particular peer who use, you know, just to give you an example without breaking confidentiality, if a peer was to fall unwell during work, now when they get a sick note from the doctor saying they're able to return back to work, it might have been the settings that they worked in which triggered a relapse in their mental health. Now, the service level agreement that we like to have in place is that you need to be well for a sustained period of time in the community to be able to do a peer job to the best of your ability and to a level that the service will benefit from. So it's tricky conversations like that, that sort of elongate my day, so to speak. The other part of my role, I actually supervise a peer and they help me with the sort of admin side of things as well as we're starting an internet page for the peers so we can raise more awareness because still I've been working for the service as an expert by experience initially till now for the best part of five years and I still every day get asked what is my role and then when somebody's intrigued by my role they say we need that in the service. And I sort of chuckle and say, it's been in the service. It's all around us. And it's just, it's that kind of, wow, you think you've come so far and then you, you, you get a knockback like that. But ultimately I, I take it in my stride and I try to incorporate how can we spread the message even more without others feeling like it's being forced upon them or overly thrown at them. Yeah, like raising awareness without being too in your face about it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What do you like most about your job? That's a good question. I like the fact that it's like refreshing because I, I keep reverting back to my previous role and, and I hope you don't mind, but like in my previous role, it's like the feel good factor from helping service users. But in this role, it's the feel good factor from the response from supervisors of peers. Cause some days I only see it from the peers perspective. And sometimes it is a lot of negatives, but ultimately having genuine conversations with supervisors of peers, the supervisors that really want to support and get on this campaign to change the perception of peers within the service. They're not tokenistic. They're not just entry level and how much actual impact they have on service users cares is apparent to them. And I really enjoy, you know, working with them because I know the support and the new structure that that peer will have as a result of that. So just being able to do it from that management side of things, it's, it, it was always good. Like that was the, the clincher for me because I was almost happy to stay working with peers my, in my entire, you know, NHS career. But ultimately I understood that there is a bigger picture and it starts, yes service level on wards and stuff but ultimately there's if you really want to shake up the whole healthcare setting that I work in I've got to you know have conversations with people at the top as well yeah okay that makes a lot of sense so like whilst you really loved the job you did before ultimately kind of moving to a slightly different role within that service maybe gives you a bit more ability to instigate changes that you want to see yeah 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 definitely definitely what do you find most challenging about your role? When nobody's responding to emails. <laughs> no, it's a, a little bit of that. So sometimes you get a, a situation that you really can't rush and it ultimately can take a lot of time. And if somebody is suffering as, as a result of it, it kind of 
weighs heavy on you. And it's going home with almost a little bit of guilt. And sometimes I'd have to go to my own supervisor and say, this is how I feel about someone's situation. Because in the event of a peer having a hard time, there's many variables that play into that situation. I have to come up with my own assessment on the situation. And I always say, am I being fair? Have, have I thought about all the factors that needed to be thought about as well as getting information and guidance on how best to move forward if there's nothing being missed? And that, that sometimes can be challenging because like I said, every day, week or month that goes by that, that situation isn't being resolved. It's a situation that's still there. Right. Okay. So just the challenges of managing other people as part of your job and therefore having some responsibility for them and their well-being as well. With that in mind, what personal qualities or skills do you think are important for your job? So I think you've got to be passionate. That goes without saying you've got to be passionate at anything you do. But within the remit of being a peer, you know, we don't want peers to see it as an easy option into employment because it's definitely not that. Yes, you qualify because you have lived experience, but not everybody wants to use their lived experience. And, you know, not everybody understands how to use their lived experience and make it transferable that it's able to support individuals using the mental health service in their own recoveries. So we want people to get into it for the right reasons because they have passion. The second part is, you know, the, it's, it is a transferable skill. So you have to be vulnerable and that can weigh heavy. Like I said, there's a thin line between being vulnerable enough to support someone, but too vulnerable that it offsets your mental health a little bit. I have a lot of conversation with peers around boundaries, not oversharing. Sometimes you'll get the service user saying, oh yeah, but what was you in hospital for? And they want to know so much detail and that can be a little bit overwhelming. I think you've got to be punctual because I think service users are going to be looking for you. If you're not meeting these meetings, it messes up with their structure and their schedule. And then they think, do you really care? Do you really want to be there? I've had experiences where I've missed an appointment because I'm, I'm not perfect, but by like five minutes and that service user's got the hump with me because they really devalue the time they spend with you. You know, sometimes you might be just there in their mind as a friend for that day or someone they can really rely on. So I think, yeah, you've got to be committed to the role. Bravery is another important quality because it's no easy feat. You know, you've gone through something as life-changing as you have maybe even not for the first time. And you're now revisiting it in a role that you do, whether it's you expressing it through telling your own journey to people or just being around other people and their journey. And that can be very triggering. So there's a lot of bravery. So I think those are some good qualities. Yeah, definitely. They all sound really important. Is there anything that you wish other people knew about your job other than the fact that it exists? So that exists, yes. But then I could also add to that, I'll do other various kind of roles that don't necessarily need lived experience to do, but I still enjoy doing them. Like I'll do a 
pool tournament for the forensic service users as overtime, which uh, TI, which is a technical instructor or occupational therapist could have done. And I don't see it as that's my role being blended in. As long as you have time and space to use your lived experience within your role, then these other jobs or duties that you're getting given to do, all you do are, it's, it's fine. Your peerless is not getting lost in the job. So I think it's about having a conversation, you know, creating more platforms for the peer lived experience manager role to grow. The final question I have is what advice do you have for students or young people who might be thinking about a career in peer services or as a peer experience manager? But I guess like actually it's maybe not a career that you plan on doing. It's just something that you end up doing because of your own experiences and what you find that your your strengths are and that you're good at. So it's maybe not a very applicable question, but would you have any advice for students or young people who might have listened to this podcast and thought, actually, that sounds like a job that, that I could do or would think about doing in the future? I think if they're having that thought, then they're definitely the right person for that role, simply because something resonated in them to make them have that thought. Now, what you said is definitely true around the need for lived experience to work in lived experience positions. However, I think if you are looking for a role, there, there's very similar roles that can be applied for if you don't necessarily have lived experience. I think it's always good to explore, you know, I would say if you've got the passion for it, you'll find something that fits your role and you can be working with people with lived experience. Ultimately, I don't think because I've lived experience or it's the be all and end all. The service users, when I worked in my previous role, that will still connect with someone without lived experience more than they connected with me. So I don't want to deter young people to say, because I haven't got lived experience, because I don't think I qualify, I can't go for a role. I think if you have that mentality, you'll just never know. I think there are similar roles. Like when I first started, like I said, people thought I was a advocate. Some people thought I was a TI. Some people thought I was a psychologist. And these are all roles that don't require lived experience that you can possibly apply for to work within the service. Some people have lived experience within our service that haven't disclosed it and work other roles. And I think it's about being liberated and being able to say, I do have lived experience and having the conversation because you don't know, you just never know your lived experience might be enough to be able to apply for a role, but you didn't think it was. Yeah. Okay. So actually, if you're interested, find out more about the roles that might really suit you, because if someone's got a passion for working in mental health, then there's a job for them out there. Definitely. Definitely. Great. Well, thank you so much, Femi, for, for speaking to me today and for being so open about some of your experiences. It's been really interesting to hear about how it's shaped you and what you've ended up doing and hear your passion for the job. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to NHS Careers Untapped. To find out more about different career opportunities within the NHS, please check out our other podcasts available for streaming or download on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud and YouTube. 
You can also find out about other events happening as part of the Careers Untapped project by registering on the Great Ormond Street Digital Education Network at the link provided in the episode description and searching NHS Careers Untapped. You can also find links to a couple of other great websites to check out, including healthcarecareers.nhs.uk and skillsforhealth.org.uk. This podcast was brought to you by the Gosh Learning Academy. If you want to find out more about our work, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn. We hope you enjoyed the episode and we'll see you next time. Goodbye.